Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Results from Ohio's primary election are in. We take a look at who is moving on to Ohio's general election in November. The Supreme Court launches an investigation into a leaked document revealing a majority of the court is in favor of overturning Roe v. Wade. A leak of this magnitude is unprecedented. So what does it mean for the integrity of the court? President Biden tours a plant that makes weapons used in Ukraine, thanking workers for helping Ukrainians defend themselves. Elon Musk says commercial and government accounts might be charged a fee to use Twitter. But what about casual users? Results from the Ohio primary are in. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg reports. In Ohio's primary elections on Tuesday, Trump-endorsed candidate J.D. Vance won a tight race for the Republican nomination for the U.S. Senate. Thanks to the president for everything, for endorsing me. The win is seen by some as an indication of former President Donald Trump's influence over the Republican Party as he considers running again in 2024. After the endorsement, you know, he came to victory. So Trump is still a kingmaker. Vance's victory over his six Republican opponents came with just over 32% of the vote. But they wanted to write a story that this campaign would be the death of Donald Trump's America First agenda. Ladies and gentlemen, it ain't the death of the America First U.S. Representative Tim Ryan won Ohio's Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate against his two competitors, Morgan Harper and Tracy Johnson. Ryan will face Vance in November's general election for an Ohio Senate seat being opened up by Republican Senator Rob Portman's retirement. <laughs> Former Marine Vance likened his run for U.S. Senate to a battle in his victory speech. We are going to do battle against an establishment left that thinks that people's jobs, that think that people's values, that think that people's basic livelihoods and sense of dignity in their own country is not something worth protecting. Congressman Ryan is likely facing an uphill battle against Vance in a state won twice by Trump with an eight-point margin. Being a pro-life candidate, being strong on oil and gas, manufacturing, you know, strong at the border, I think that matters to Ohioans, and I think J.D.'s definitely going to win. Max Miller, another Trump-endorsed candidate, won the Republican U.S. House primary for Ohio's 7th District. In the Ohio governor race, Nan Whaley won the Democratic primary and current Governor Mike DeWine won the Republican primary. This year's midterm election is predicted to be a tough one for Democrats trying to hold on to their majority in the House and control of the Senate. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The Supreme Court yesterday confirmed the authenticity of a leaked draft opinion which reveals a majority of Supreme Court justices are planning to rule in favor of overturning Roe v. Wade. This is the first time in the history of the court that a leak of this magnitude has taken place. So what does this mean for the integrity of the United States' highest court? NTD's Grace Coulter spoke with a constitutional scholar to find out. In a Tuesday statement, Chief Justice John Roberts called the leaked draft a betrayal and an egregious breach of trust. Rob Nettleson, a former constitutional law professor considered one of the top constitutional scholars in the country, says the leak was likely an attack on judicial independence. Most likely, as uh, Alan Dershowitz, noted Harvard professor, has speculated, this came from one of the clerks working for one of the Supreme Court justices. Nettleson says it's of utmost importance that the Supreme Court's deliberations are kept secure to ensure the court isn't influenced by public pressure, threats or lobbying. If their deliberations are out in the open, the court's decisions could be impaired. The attempt to 
rip open the court's deliberations and expose them to political pressure is very dangerous for the independence of the court. De the court is designed to serve a very different role from the political branches, and that role is central to our, to our constitutional system. Chief Justice Roberts has said the leaked draft doesn't represent the court's final decision or the final position of any justice. Nettleson says that typically, if Roberts is part of the majority, he will pen the opinion himself. The fact that he assigned it to Justice Alito suggests he's not in the majority. For this reason, according to Nettleson, what Roberts does next is all the more important. Roberts says he's directed the marshal of the Supreme Court to carry out an investigation into the leak. Nettleson says the investigation is important, but that it alone won't be sufficient to protect the integrity of the court. It also has to be very clear that this obvious attempt to subject the court to lobbying or to pressure or to intimidation uh, is rejected. So the investigation is important, but also the court's other conduct in the next few days is important. Um, I agree with one commentator who suggested that not only should uh, Chief Justice Roberts join the majority at this point, but that the court should also issue its decision now to end any speculation that the court is going to be manipulated by this kind of conduct. Roberts says the attempt to undermine the integrity of the court will not succeed, adding that the work of the court will not be affected in any way. Grace Coulter, NTD News, New York. President Biden thanked workers at a plant in Alabama Tuesday for making weapons that are being used in Ukraine. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. As I came to say thank you, thank you, thank you. President That's Biden spoke I'm to here. Lockheed Martin workers in Alabama Tuesday, praising them for their efforts in producing anti-tank missiles. Ukraine's using the missiles to fight Russian forces. You're allowing the Ukrainians to defend themselves. And quite frankly, they're making fools of the Russian military in many instances. Biden sent over 5,000 anti-tank missiles, known as javelins, to Ukraine from U.S. stockpiles. One expert estimates in recent years, the U.S. has sent one-third of its javelins to Ukraine and about one-quarter of its shoulder-fired Stinger missiles. Biden renewed his pitch to Congress to approve the $33 billion in additional aid he requested last week, in part to replenish U.S. stockpiles. We need more money to make sure the United States can continue to send weapons directly to the front lines of freedom in Ukraine and to make sure the United States and our allies can replenish our own stocks of weapons to replace what we've sent to Ukraine. The $33 billion aid proposal would also let U.S. officials seize more assets from Russian oligarchs and give the cash from those seizures to Ukraine. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said Friday that seizing Russian assets to support Ukraine would be illegal. It's a very dangerous precedent which shows the flagrant distortion of the legal rules. It's a violation against all legal concepts. It is nothing else than expropriation of private property. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says over 150 evacuees from Mariupol's Azovstal steel plant reached their destination Tuesday. They're in the Ukrainian-controlled city of Zaporizhia. But 100,000 civilians are still stranded in Mariupol, according to Ukraine. The city was a major target for Russia as it seeks to cut Ukraine off from the Black Sea and connect Russian-controlled territory in the south and east. Jessica Beatty, NTD News.
The European Commission is now proposing a ban on Russian oil. It's part of a new set of measures aimed at punishing Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. Here are the details. Today we are EU Chief Executive Ursula von der Leyen on Wednesday proposed a sixth round of sanctions against Moscow. Measures would include a halt on purchases of Russian energy. Today we will propose to ban all Russian oil from Europe. This will be... This will be a complete import ban on all Russian oil seaborne and pipeline, crude and refined. The Commission's proposal suggests a phasing out of Russian crude oil over six months and refined oil products by the end of 2022. The decision was triggered by Russia's renewed offensive in eastern Ukraine. If approved, it will be a key moment for the bloc, given its heavy reliance on Russian energy. It will not be easy, because some member states are strongly dependent on Russian oil. But we simply have to do it. The EU president also says three Russian state-owned broadcasters will be barred from European airwaves and more high-ranking Russian military officials will go on the blacklist. The proposed sanctions also target Sparebank, Russia's top lender and other major banks, by blocking them from the SWIFT messaging system. The Kremlin was quick to respond. The sanctions aspirations of the Americas, Europeans and other countries, this is a double-edged weapon. In trying to harm us, they will have to pay a heavy price. Oil prices jumped 3 percent with the announcement. The proposed sanctions still need backing from all 27 EU countries before taking effect. After taking over Twitter, Elon Musk hinted at some changes. He says commercial and government accounts may be charged a slight fee to use the platform. But he said that the platform will always be free for casual users. The world's richest man did not say exactly how much that fee would cost. Before making the announcement, Musk said the downfall of the Freemasons was giving away their stone-cutting services for nothing. If the plan is put into action, it would mark the first time a major social media platform charged users for accessing it. What's more, Musk has spoken about the freedom of expression within the law on Twitter. He said, Free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy, and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. The multi-billionaire also explained he wants to improve Twitter. That's by making its algorithms open source to boost trust, defeating spam bots, and authenticating humans. Musk also hinted at some other changes, but the messages he announced them in have been deleted. Possible adjustments include reducing the price for the Blue Premium service, banning advertising, and allowing users to pay in Dogecoin. That's according to Reuters. He described his vision for the platform on the red carpet at the Met Gala in New York. He said he wants Twitter to become so inclusive that most of America is talking on it. Musk bought Twitter in a $44 billion deal, and based on the platform's most recent earnings report, about 40 million people use it every day in the U.S., Before Musk announced the fees, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez took aim at the platform's leadership. She didn't address Musk by name, but wrote on Twitter on Monday, I'm tired of having to collectively stress about what explosion of hate crimes is happening because some billionaire with an ego problem unilaterally controls a massive communication platform and skews it. To which Musk shot back, stop hitting on me. I'm really shy, smiley face. Next, we get some insight into the metaverse, the U.S. economy, and the supply chain from an executive of an AI and 3D technology company. 
And now we hear from Hans Hansen, who is the CEO of Brand3D. Thank you for joining us, Hans. Thank you for having me. Now, the U.S. economy shrunk 1.4% the first quarter of this year, even though consumer spending increased. Do you have any expectations on why this may be the case? Yeah, so there's a couple of factors. Um, obviously, the supply chain um, uh, issues that we're experiencing due to COVID lockups in China, um, due to the uh, war in Ukraine. Um, but I also think that, you know, there's a resilient um, consumer uh, sentiment that will continue to um, uh, drive spending in, in the near future. The National Retail Federation, they expect that pandemic supply chain disruptions are going to continue well into 2022. How does consumer spending play into this? So consumer spending, um, you know, as a sort of reaction to the COVID lockup has been uh, countering that. So people have had so much uh, of a, a spending drive that they found products they could buy and they've been resilient to uh, prices and inflation going up. Um, I think what we're seeing now is that we're, we're going to run into areas where the supply chain is going to hamper the market. Um, you know, you, you can get your uh, goods out of China due to the lockups. You can um, because of the war in Ukraine, there's a lot of goods that, that never leaves their ports. Um, so I think that that's going to affect it. Um, but then hopefully some new opportunities, uh, you know, people are beginning to spend more money online in, in, in new areas uh, using, uh, you know, virtual, uh, buying virtual goods. And, and you know, they're, they're, they're going to be new uh, areas of spending that can drive, um, you know, uh, uh, consumer spending. And now tell us more about the metaverse. How is that going to affect the future of advertising? So first of all, the metaverse is going to open up a lot of new revenue streams for businesses. Uh, it will allow to create an extra space that's, um, you know, particularly important during pandemics. But in general, uh, the online, um, uh, you know, the online uh, behavior pattern where people are, you know, buying more online, they are spending more time in front of their computers and mobile phones and, and tablets. Uh, is going to spur, um, a, you know, a, a drive for the metaverse. Uh, the metaverse is basically just a, a, a new reality that you add on top of uh, online businesses' existing activities. Of course, we've seen a lot of pent-up demand hit the market. And while I have you on the line, I want to know, what are the most recent developments in 3D visualization technology? So a lot of um, uh, things are happening right now around um, augmented reality, where you can take existing goods and project them into your reality. Uh, so this is great if you're on a, a, a virtual call with somebody that you can take a 3D model, you can project it into your living room and then uh, share it online. Uh, so this bridge between sort of, you know, the metaverse as we've seen it, where everything is cartoonish and, and not very realistic, and then augmented reality where you take real products that looks like a real, you know, object. Uh, for example, I can project uh, a Tesla uh, in my driveway, take a photo of that, and then share it with people online. That looks exactly like if there was a Tesla in my driveway. So this um, seamless transition from the online world into the real world is a major opportunity for retail. Hans Hansen, CEO of Brand3D, thank you for sharing your update with us. Thank you for having me. A battery startup founded in 2011 by a former Tesla engineer announced plans for a new plant based in the United States. It will mass produce material for low-cost electric car batteries with a longer range. In a press release, Sila Nanotechnologies says it wants America to retain global leadership in the new energy storage era. The company will not depend on manufacturing in China. The company says it purchased an over 600,000 square foot facility in Moses Lake, Washington. 
The new factory is set to open in the second half of 2024, with full production beginning in early 2025. Security footage shows the moment a corrections officer escorts a murder suspect out of a detention center in Alabama. It's the last time the two were seen together. Casey White was charged with capital murder in a 2020 stabbing death. He was already serving time for a 2015 crime spree that included home invasion and carjacking. He was handcuffed and shackled when he was brought out of the detention center by Vicki White. She was supposed to transport him to a courthouse for a mental evaluation. Authorities realized the two were missing after the patrol car was found left in a shopping center parking lot. Investigators have since received tips that they switched to another car. The sheriff held out the possibility that Vicki White helped free the inmate under duress, but investigators have since confirmed that the two were in a relationship. The U.S. Marshals Service is treating the manhunt for the pair as one of its top investigations. The fugitives are considered armed and dangerous. The election watchdog known as True the Vote has received subpoenas in relation to potential ballot trafficking in Georgia. In connection to this, we hear more about a movie that's coming out on May 7th that presents evidence of alleged voter fraud. Joining us now is Dinesh D'Souza, who's an author and filmmaker. Thank you for coming on the show, Dinesh. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. Can you tell us more about your movie, 2,000 Mules, based on True the Vote's evidence of third parties collecting absentee ballots and putting them in drop boxes for money? Yeah, this is a, um, an expose of um, a coordinated ring of paid ballot trafficking, illegal votes, fraudulent votes, being dumped en masse into mail-in drop boxes. We've identified in five different states more than 2,000 mules. A mule is just kind of the trafficker. It's a term taken out of sex trafficking or drug trafficking, except we're talking now about ballot trafficking. And these are illegal votes of a magnitude that is quite enough to swing the presidential election. Now, we'll see what the results of True the Votes subpoenas are, but an Associated Press found an analysis found that even if voter fraud existed in these disputed states like Georgia, there wasn't enough of it to overturn the outcome of the election. How does that play into True the Votes allegations? Well, the AP approach that tried to look at this question uh, essentially relied on looking at court cases. And they said there are fewer than 475 uh, court cases of voter fraud. And therefore, uh, that's hardly enough, even if they were all true, to swing the election. But see, the logic of that is similar to saying there are fewer than 475 drug cases in the courts in these five states. Therefore, fewer than 475 people in these five states take drugs. This is absurd. All the evidence in our movie is is unfamiliar to AP. They've never seen it. What we're able to show through cell phone geo-tracking and video evidence is a vast network of illegal fraud being driven by left-wing nonprofit groups embedded in the inner city. Much of this footage has never been seen before. It's being shown for the first time in our movie. True the Vote contacted the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, who said they had no jurisdiction. They contacted the FBI, who didn't respond for seven months. What does this suggest about these agencies? Well, interestingly, Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, has reopened an investigation into ballot trafficking in Georgia based upon complaints filed by True the Vote. 
But it's a very awkward situation for the Republican establishment in Georgia because both the governor, Kemp, and Raffensperger came out right after the election basically saying this was a secure election. And for them to say now, man, you know, I was the sheriff and this racket was going on right under my nose and I had absolutely no idea, is not easy for them to do an about turn and essentially admit that they were suckered. So I'm really hoping that they will take an honest look at this data, take an honest look at these videos. It's not just a matter of chasing down the whistleblower. The True the Vote has the cell phone IDs of all the 2,000 mules. Any law enforcement agency can go interview them, uh, find out who paid you, who put you up to it, who organized this operation. That would seem to be the logical next step. So what should Americans be looking out for in this movie and where can they see it? Well, Americans should be looking for a new way to think about election fraud. Forget about a lot of the stuff you've heard before. This isn't about anomalies. It isn't about episodic fraud. You know, a dead guy voting over here, another guy who moved is voted over there. This is about systematic fraud. And you don't have to believe me. You only have to believe the evidence of your own senses. You will actually be taken to the scene of the crime. You'll be able to see it for yourself. Now, where do you see the movie? There's only one way to see it. Go to the website, which is 2000mules.com, the number 2000, 2000mules.com. Five different ways to see the movie, but the reason you have to go to the website is I can only put the movie on uncancelable platforms. I see. Well, Dinesh D'Souza, author and filmmaker, thank you so much for sharing your update. It's a pleasure. Coming up, firefighters gather in California for an annual training event hosted by the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. And the nation's first town, chartered by African Americans, faces an uncertain future. The town's geography causes it to flood easily, and there's no easy fix to the problem. We'll have more for you in just a moment here on NTD News. Nearly two dozen firefighter crews gathered in Paynes Creek, California this week for the annual Ishi Conservation Camp Preparedness Exercise. The three-day training event is hosted by the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. During the event, crews arrive on site and immediately face inspection as they collect their gear and face questions on firefighting techniques, tools, and more. It's important because the crews actually, they do need to be proficient in their skills um, for various reasons. They need to be in shape. They need to be um, able to use their tools successfully and um, basically know, know their job. During inspection, firefighters simulate air tanker drops, which are frequently used during wildfires. Officials also inspect the fire shelters used, which are then deployed as part of the training. Firefighters then embark on a timed three-mile hike. After the trek, they're instructed to cut a 300-foot line on a hillside. Line cutting is a firefighting practice designed to create a perimeter around the fire to contain it. Factors for determining the size of the line include fuels and weather. Misty Calvo is in her second year as a firefighter. Um, with what, how we got critiqued and just from what our superior said, uh, feeling pretty good. We didn't have any deductions, so feeling good about this fire season, going in, feeling prepared and ready, knowing that we can do our job uh, to the best of our abilities. She was assigned to scrapes, cleaning up the line, and removing all debris toward the back of the line. We got a good kudos. Um, they said our line looked good, it was clean, we had no deductions on our line, so that's always a great positive, knowing that you know we're training well, and you know when we get out there, knowing that we're putting out good line and 
Um, the hike went well. Uh, we all did good. We all stayed together and, you know, pushed each other, motivated each other. California's wildfires are as destructive as ever. The past two years have seen the biggest wildfires in state history. In 2020, the August Complex fire consumed more than 1 million acres, and in 2021, the Dixie Fire burned more than 963,000 acres. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The historic town of Princeville, North Carolina, faces an uncertain and stormy future. The town is situated on swampland, and rising water levels flood the town from time to time. Many residents have left, while others decided to stay. Here are the details. The historic town of Princeville, North Carolina has a population of about 1,200. The settlement grew up around a Union Army camp on the south bank of the Tar River, where escaped slaves sought protection in the waning days of the Civil War. It is the oldest town in the nation chartered by African Americans. Our forefathers built a town out of absolutely nothing but swampland. Uh, they shed their blood, sweat and tears on these sacred grounds. It was absolutely worthless. Nobody wanted it. Nobody see, could see anything positive for the future of the, the swampland. Because of its geography, the town faces an existential threat every time the Tar River floods, despite construction of a massive levee in the 1960s. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Wilmington District is currently responsible for flood control in Princeville. When it floods and the water level rises and starts to come over the bank, the water wants to go somewhere, and it wants to naturally go where the town of Princeville currently exists. In 2019, Congress authorized nearly $40 million to fund the Princeville flood protection upgrades. But updated computer modeling show that the Princeville plan would have created flooding issues in other areas. We said, hey, we need to look at that. We need to come up with a, a better design or see what we could do uh, to try and uh, make sure that we can still protect the citizens of Princeville without creating uh, unintended consequences elsewhere. The town's population has declined sharply compared to a decade earlier. The government has purchased about two dozen flood-prone properties for demolition, with more buyouts pending. But many long-term residents say they would rather stay. Actually, it was the love for Princeville, for the town itself, my roots. 74-year-old Princeville resident Betty Cobb has had her home twice destroyed by floods. She says right now she and her family are living on chance and prayer. Just ahead, experts sound warnings about the Chinese Communist Party, which they say poses a growing threat to the United States. And a discussion on state ownership in the Chinese economy. What does state-owned mean in China? Find out more in just a minute here on NTD News. The latest Marvel superhero movie, Doctor Strange 2, is premiering in the United States this weekend. But those wanting to watch it in China could be out of luck. It's not likely that the movie is going to be released there. Entity's Don Ma has the story. A Chinese Communist Party-owned media is outraged about the new Doctor Strange movie. It's not helping the odds of the movie getting a China release. What is it mad about? It's this scene here. This is the newspaper box of the Chinese language edition of the Epoch Times. The Epoch Times is also NTD's sister media. It's known for its coverage of current affairs in China, including the Chinese Communist Party's human rights violations, Beijing's propaganda and influence operations abroad. But did Marvel Studios put the newspaper box in the movie on purpose? 
Movie producer Chris Fenton says it's unlikely that this was purely accidental. Shows that they know every frame of that movie, what's in there, and the continuity experts, the script supervisors, and everybody in post knows exactly what props are used. So the idea that the 200 to 300 people on set that day and the 200 to 300 people in post-production over the course of post-production did not notice the Epic Times vending stand in there, it seems very far-fetched. When Chinese state-owned media The Global Times saw the Epoch Times box, it was less than happy about it. It published an article over the weekend smearing the Epoch Times and calling the inclusion of the newspaper in the movie shameful. The Global Times article was published on May 1st, and on May 2nd, the Epoch Times found 44 of its Chinese-language boxes vandalized with graffiti in New York. The deputy editor-in-chief of the Chinese-language Epoch Times says the Chinese Communist Party is involved in the vandalism. The Epoch Times newspaper box appeared in a blockbuster movie. The CCP didn't feel good about this, so they sent people to graffiti our newspaper boxes. This is what they always do. This has happened many times. Every time we report on a major incident about the CCP, they vandalize our newspaper boxes. Doctor Strange has been submitted to the Chinese authorities for review, but chances of approval are now looking slim. Well, I think the idea of this movie getting into China is probably now non-existent. It's unknown if Marvel Studios will keep the Epoch Times newspaper box in the movie. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is hitting theaters this Friday and is expected to open up to $200 million at the box office. Don Ma, NTD News. Beijing's threat to the United States is raising concerns. Many experts caution that the U.S. is at a critical juncture to fight back. Experts are sounding the alarm about the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, and its threat of infiltration on American soil. China analyst and author Gordon Chang believes the U.S. is at a critical moment and that Americans should step up to fight back against the regime's aggression. At a New York Young Republican Club event last month, he said, quote, China exploits every point of contact with us to overthrow our government. They're overwhelming us. Law enforcement is overwhelmed. Academia is overwhelmed. Everyone is overwhelmed. Joshua Phillip is an investigative reporter with the Epoch Times. In an interview with the newspaper's American Thought Leaders program, he talked about how the Chinese regime strangles other countries by taking advantage of their own systems. He explained the regime will observe those nations' systems and twist them to suit Beijing. You say you believe in free speech? We'll have protests in your own backyard calling you out. You say you believe in free press? Well, we'll start up state-run media in your country, and we'll use those state-run media to lie to your population, to spread our propaganda. That's what they do. You believe in free markets. How about we bring state-run companies that can sell below cost and put your companies out of business and take over your industries? That's what they're doing. Chang stressed that Americans are in a good position to repel threats from Beijing. He brought up the probe into the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic as an example. According to a CNN report citing sources familiar with the matter, last year the Biden administration shut down a State Department effort to prove the virus originated in a Chinese lab. The decision was allegedly based on White House concerns over the quality of the investigation. Gordon Cheng said the decision to close the inquiry sparked immediate outrage just across the United States. 
Because of that backlash, within hours, the Biden administration was forced to set a 90-day deadline for the intelligence community to come back with an investigation report on the virus's origins. That's the power of we the people. Chang said that every American should take more action to push back against the Chinese communist regime. He suggests selling Chinese stocks and mutual funds that hold Chinese stocks, demanding political candidates talk about China, raising awareness about the issues among friends and neighbors, some of whom he describes as a person-by-person battle. Massive state-owned enterprises are a widely known feature of the Chinese economy. But what does the term state-owned actually mean in China, and who is behind these companies? Next, we'll take a minute for another question from our viewers. One of them asked, does state-owned mean something different in China than in the U.S.? Chinese state-owned companies operate a lot closer to home than many realize. A number of them are listed in the U.S. stock market, like the Beijing-based energy company Sinopec, also known as China Petroleum and Chemical Corporation. The same is true for companies like PetroChina and Sinuk Limited, officially named the China National Offshore Oil Corporation. They or their parent companies are controlled by a special department under the Chinese Communist Party. It's called the China State-Owned Asset Supervision and Administration Commission. One of those companies was already kicked out of the U.S. stock market. But the other two are still bringing in profits from American investors. Inside China, all large-scale companies in infrastructure and other critical sectors are either owned by the Chinese state or under the Chinese Communist Party's control. That's true even when the companies appear private in name. Take Chinese conglomerate CEFC China Energy as an example. President Biden's son Hunter Biden was previously accused of making transactions worth millions of dollars with the Chinese company through his firms. CEFC was private in name but hired numerous high-ranking former officials from the Chinese military as top members of its leadership. The company has also been deeply involved in Beijing's Belt and Road Initiative. Its CEO publicly admitted that the company's overseas businesses serve the Chinese regime's strategic goals, like spreading the Chinese Communist Party's influence throughout the world. It's worth noting all Chinese companies must, by law, hand over any and all data to the regime when asked. That's in the name of China's national security. Though it's the regime that defines what does and doesn't concern national security. Still to come, the World Health Organization is drawing attention to obesity. A new report says nearly 60% of Europeans are overweight or obese. Traditional pottery in Morocco, it may soon be classed as an intangible cultural heritage. We look at why in just a moment right here on NTD News. Argentina has prepared what it believes is the world's largest Neapolitan Milanese. The giant dish features tomato sauce, cheese, and meat, and marks the country's Milanesa Day on the outskirts of Buenos Aires. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. The breaded beefsteak is one of Argentina's most beloved dishes and is based on the Italian Milanese made from veal cutlets. We prepared the largest Neapolitan Milanese in the world. 
The certificate given to us now states the Minelese weighs 926 kilograms, 2,041 pounds, measures 4 meters long by 3 meters wide, with a thickness of 3 centimeters, 1.18 inches, making it the largest Minelese in the world. Ibar Lucia said that although their record had not yet been certified by Guinness World Records, they had it certified locally to pave the way for a future world record. The Neapolitan Milanese version is said to have been created in the South American country and is cooked with tomato sauce and melted cheese placed on top. There is no other breaded Minelese made from top round cutlets in the world. We checked in the Guinness World Records and other certificate agencies in the world. There was nothing. So we decided to certify it via the public notary, which, starting from tomorrow, facilitates us to certify it with the Guinness World Records or any other entity we choose. Milanese Day is an annual holiday celebrated on May 3rd to commemorate the South American nation's favorite dish. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Obesity has become an ongoing problem for people. Nearly 60% of Europeans are overweight or obese. That's according to a report released on Tuesday by the World Health Organization. In Europe, more than a million deaths per year are caused by being overweight and obese. This is the stark conclusion of a new report by the World Health Organization. We also see that people are they're less active, physical activity has gone down, dietary habits have gotten worse. Um, and this, this is doubly um, concerning because um, we saw that people with COVID, with, with obesity, people living with overweight and obesity who had COVID had worse outcomes. WHO experts say high body mass index can lead to an increased risk of health conditions including cancer and cardiovascular disease. The organization estimates that nearly 60% of all Europeans are overweight or obese, and COVID-19 only made the situation worse. The high mortality that we saw from COVID is the result of our failure to deal with obesity and overweight in the population earlier. The situation is even more serious for children. We know our children are just barraged with, with advertising, um, increasingly in the digital world, even when they're on video games. They're, they're seeing ads for, for foods high in fat, sugar, and salt. We know that they're really susceptible to that. Another cause for the obesity epidemic is that breastfeeding rates in the European region are comparatively low. And we know that breastfeeding is one thing that protects a child from obesity and overweight later in life. Overweight and obesity levels increased by 138% between 1975 and 2016. The new report compiles statistics from 53 European countries and is based on a data set from 2016. The Moroccan city of Safi is famed for its traditional pottery. The city may soon have their ceramic skills classified as an intangible cultural heritage. Here are the details. The Moroccan city of Safi is celebrated for its colorful ceramics. One shopkeeper says it's the quality of the craftsmanship that makes Safi's ceramics special. The city of Safi is characterized by traditional and modern pottery, characterized by high quality. That's why there is a great demand from people who want to purchase this product. Having inherited the traditions from nine generations, Mohamed Ribati has worked as a potter since 1972. Many artisans like Ribati shun modern techniques and technology in favor of traditional methods. We as potters in Safi are proud because we still adhere to the traditional and simple ways of working and this method we inherited from our ancestors. 
And despite the fact that we are in the era of technology, but people always encourage these traditional ways of working, whether in the matter of kneading clay or mixing colors. However, this means that they can't compete on price with cheaper imitations. The clay around Safi is silky and rich in iron oxide, which creates a texture that gives metallic reflections to the pottery. The clay is put into water and left for 48 hours to become a paste. Then it's kneaded by foot on a sunny terrace and left for another day to dry in slabs. Each month he produces between 600 and 1,200 pieces, with 800 pieces exported around the world, including France, the UK and Germany. The prices of the items can vary enormously, from just over a dollar to over $50,000. The government now hopes to submit an application to UNESCO to consider the ceramic skills of Safi as an intangible cultural heritage at some point in the future. Coming up in Australia, zoos are working to promote education about koalas. Their lovable national icon is now an endangered species. An Australian freerunner flips, dives, and swings through the world-famous Sydney Opera House. See him showcase his acrobatic skills and more after this short break. Two South African ultra runners circumnavigated almost 700 miles of the landlocked African country of Lesotho. They ran at a pace of over one and a half marathons a day. The two athletes traveled at that brutal pace across all kinds of terrain and weather conditions. They completed the journey in 16 days, 6 hours, and 56 minutes. The legendary duo overcame huge physical and mental hurdles to tackle the mammoth trek. It included over 20 miles of elevation along the borders of the country. They started running on April 10th through the most remote and untouched regions of Lesotho and South Africa. They covered the length of the entire Drakensberg mountain range and summited some of the country's most breathtaking peaks. Mother Nature did not provide them with a smooth trip on their home continent. They had to endure freezing weather and dangerous flooding. Australia is preparing to host its third Olympics and today representatives from the International Olympic Committee said they were impressed after touring venues for the Brisbane 2032 Olympic Games. The Queensland Premier and the Mayor of the Gold Coast showed the Olympic delegation the local lifestyle and various sporting venues that will feature in the 2032 Games. The committee director said he was impressed by the venues that the region will put to use during the Olympics, as well as by the local people and their spirit. The committee confirmed Brisbane as 2032 host at last year's Tokyo Games. Australia hosted the Olympics in 2000 in Sydney and back in 1956 in Melbourne. According to the official Olympics website, Australia will prepare 37 venues for use during the Games. The site also says Australia is only one of two countries to have sent athletes to every modern Olympic Games. Zoos and sanctuaries in Australia are educating visitors about koalas. They're hoping visitors see them not just as cuddly mascots, but as an endangered wildlife species. The koala bear, a symbol of Australia, is facing threats like never before. In February, the Australian government officially listed them as an endangered species. We know that within New South Wales, there's probably about 20,000 koalas left. We know that they're on a precipice. We know that we need to act now if we're going to turn around the trajectory of koalas. We know that if we don't, they could be extinct by 2050. 
The Australia Koala Foundation estimated there were between 32,000 and 57,000 koalas left in the wild in 2021. That's down 30 percent from just three years before. This is the result of disease, natural disasters and prolonged heat waves. There is also more building and development moving into koalas' living environment. Sydney's Taronga Zoo has been working to educate the public on the issues koalas are facing. Before COVID, we'd have two million visitors through our gates every single year, more than two million visitors. And we have not just an opportunity, but an absolute obligation to connect them with those animals and to help them understand the issues afoot and what they can do to make a difference in the life for our animals. Doesn't have the best in Port Stephens, New South Wales, another sanctuary allows visitors to see koalas in a semi-wild environment. They can even stay overnight to enjoy the best experience. But tourism is only secondary. The park's top priority is the welfare of the animals. Well, they obviously have the koala's best interests at heart. Um, the fact that they minimise their interaction so that the koalas can get back into the wild um, in the most appropriate way is really nice to hear. The park installed animal-friendly fences and they covered pools to prevent wildlife from drowning. They also advise visitors to keep their dogs on a leash. The focus is on respecting the koalas, protecting them and learning about their plight. The um, wonderful thing about this is they are all wild koalas. They've not been bred in captivity um, for the purpose of tourism, though it does offer that educational perspective. So koalas that are um, able to be shown to people that they can appreciate the plight of the koala. What can we do in our own backyards and in our own um, areas? What can we do to preserve that habitat for them that they're so reliant on? Visitors are told to be quiet and not to use flash photography. It's actually nice that we're not um, holding them. It's nicer for them mm -hmm. just to be in the tree, yeah. Because we didn't realise that they were as frightened of noise and, yeah, people. Keepers and guides are trained to recognise when a koala is stressed or needs space to rest, though that could mean ending visitors' experience earlier than expected. When free-running star Dominic Di Tommaso was given the chance to tackle the Sydney Opera House, it was an assignment he simply couldn't turn down. The Australian native couldn't wait to put his skills to the test. The 29-year-old engaged in acrobatics both inside and outside the venue over three intensive days of filming. He said he was exhausted but elated from the experience and was happy to showcase his skills on a global scale. He mentioned how the Sydney Opera House is renowned both in Australia and throughout the world. Di Tommaso's Red Bull profile page says he started free running in 2007. He has a background in ballet and figure skating and was working as a full-time garbage collector. He is part of the elite freerunning group Team Farang. He regularly competes in Red Bull's Art of Motion freerunning competition. He also coordinated the freerunning scenes for the 2021 movie Twist. On today's health segment, we have some tips on how to ward off ongoing stress and its many health risks such as chronic inflammation and chronic disease. Here's Gina Marie, who brings us Strong Mind and Body. Do you handle stress as well as you used to? Well, for most folks, it does get harder as the years go by, and that's a potential problem for our health because stress increases the risks for chronic disease. Fighting stress. The best way to cope with stress is by getting at least seven hours of sleep per day. 
Also, you want to make sure that you eat lots of fruits and veggies. Exercising regularly, meditating and staying socially connected are also important. Another thing you can do is a relaxation exercise. The relaxation response was defined by Harvard Medical School professor Herbert Benson. It slows your breathing, reduces your heart rate and lowers your stress hormones. To elicit this state, do a basic breathing exercise, such as taking 10 very slow breaths in and out. Another idea is to stretch your muscles. Your muscles tense up under stress, so make sure you relieve that tension by stretching. Another tip is to take a mindfulness break. Being mindful helps elicit the relaxation response by bringing you to the present moment. Try having a cup of tea or a leisurely and mindful walk through nature. Take a brisk walk. Try to get 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise such as brisk walking. This is important for all aspects of health including stress management. Don't forget to use laughter. Laughter may provide a source of healing. It reduces stress hormones and becomes an expression of joy, optimism and hope. You could watch a movie or TV show that makes you laugh or chat with a light-hearted friend. Another tip is to play soothing music. Unlike loud music, pleasing music can help to elicit the relaxation response. Music therapy can be very powerful for healing. It is used in medical settings for everything from cancer treatment to recovering from COVID-19. Counter negative thoughts. Positive thoughts help to boost positive emotions. Try to find three positive things for one negative or stressful thought. Also, remember to count your blessings, such as a safe place to live, a nice meal, and heat for your home during cold weather. And finally, remember to reach out for help if you need it. We all want to be independent, but it's okay to ask a friend or family member for assistance. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email on screen. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. Thank you.